Today, we are going to be in Psalms chapter 19. The Psalms, they're the worship handbook for the nation of Israel. Uh, it's interesting as you consider the content and everything that's there and, and uh, just really what God has revealed to us through this particular um, group of psalms and form of poetry and history. Um, we, we consider that, I think um, it's very encouraging. It, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the scriptures, you know, they appeal to our heart by easing our intellect. In other words, we reason through some things. As, as um, Isaiah was told, come now, let us reason together, you and I, thus saith the Lord. So we reason through. We also deal with emotions in various passages. But the Psalms really are um, a point where I found many Christians and many of us, we, we find a good reset. You know, the Psalms are rich with truth. There, there's uh, observation that, that's revealed, things you can look at. There's uh, a reality of emotion, a lot of emotion in the Psalms, correct? Where you see that there's just a real life experience, a lot of joy, a lot of heartache. Um, there's an element of renewal we see through the content of the Psalms. Praise, of course. Um, we see from the Psalms history as well as hope for the future. You know, the Psalms, you'll notice as you study through them, there's portions that re- remind Israel of God's faithfulness by walking through them through the history. And so it's kind of nice when you come across those because it's a nice history review of how God was faithful, you know, leading them out of Egypt and taking them through, you know, various trials and showing himself faithful. And so we find them uh, very encouraging in the history, but also the hope for the future, speaking of um, God's faithfulness through all generations. We also know the Psalms are where we go to get reset in our life experience. I find that to be true, at least. The Psalms are God's word to his people through his people. So we always want to remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So he's inspired Genesis to Revelation, the content therein, he's inspired that. Well, what that means is it's his word brought to the heart of a person, brought through that person, revealing the heart of God through the hand of a person. So whether you're reading through Psalms, which have a lot of David's heart, life experience, or maybe you're over there and, and, um, you know, the letter to the churches in Galatia, and they have the heart of Paul being seen, but it's really the heart of God. I say that because it's not just about what David went through. God has uniquely and beautifully involved humanity in his declaration about his character, as well as about the human experience. I find that fascinating. It's, It's not just a policy book we have here. It's not just a basic handbook before leaving earth as an acronym for Bible. That's okay. But in reality, there's much more. The richness and the the intimacy God invites us to, a closeness with him. And so we also see from the Psalms, really more than anywhere else in the Bible, uh, the, the Psalms remind us of his majesty, of his creativity, of his perfection, and his presence, which we're going to uncover in Psalm 19. But before we do... Let's pray together, God, as we would approach your word today. We are glad, thankful that we have it before us, that we have it to gaze upon and to look into. But Lord, we don't want to approach it as literature or another writing or just a religious book. 
God, your word reveals who you are and how things are. It reveals truth that we can't take hold of, of our own effort and our own discipline. We believe, God, that you desire for us, each one of us, to know your word today. And we would ask by faith, Lord, teach us your word. Make it known to us. Bring us to an understanding of of your design and your direction for our lives, Lord God. And so I would ask today, God, you would teach us your word and make it known to us. May we not only have it in our head for clarity and understanding, but may it be written on the tablets of our heart that it would affect our lives, that we would live according to your power and presence for your glory and our joy. We ask these things in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we are going to venture into Psalm 19. We are going to uh, read the first section. It's actually structured in such a way that we can see verses 1 through 6, making known the, the, the creation of God and even a hint at the character of God. Verses 7 through 11, we see the word of God and how it's brought to humanity in the sense of how it's to be applied and lived. And then finishing with verses 12 through 14 in the practical application, the intimate engagement that God invites us to. So let's just read verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19. We'll, we'll take that apart and gaze into that, and then we'll move into the next portion. Verse 1 of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So glancing back now there to to verse 1, let's uh, consider what we have there. The heavens declare the glory of God. When it's speaking of heavens, you know, we just finished the book of Revelation, speaking of a new heaven and a new earth. And that's a, a place that we'll have a different experience. The word in the, in the um, Hebrew, the, or the yeah, the Hebrew here is speaking of the expanse. In other words, it's that which is above us. Um, the firmament in the heavens or the, the observable skies above us declare the glory of God. They make known. And I think, you know, when you go through what we call life, when you deal with heartbreak, when you deal with headlines, you know, if you read the headlines a lot, you're not going to be happy. I'm just going to go out on a limb on that one. Those things, as you see certain things unfolding, hopefully you're encouraged by the prophetic, meaning God spoke ahead of time, this was going to happen, and you see it unfolding, that's exciting, quite honestly. But in the midst of the excitement, there's still a lot of disappointment. You know, we live in a time, if you read the headlines and the headlines alone, you're going to be discouraged. One thing after another is going to be like, oh man, look at the horrible things happening. Look at these tragic things taking place. Look at these courageous men not allowed to make a move, but told to stand down by weak people who don't know what they're doing. And you, you know what I'm referencing. You know what's going on. Like, man, how do we deal with this? We get discouraged, despondent, even potentially depressed because of what you see here. But let's make sure we understand There is a God, 
There is only one God, and he knows all things. He's the creator of all things. So here, as you get, find yourself looking at the headlines, just stop, stop, find time, take time, spend time every day looking to the expanse. Not the study of the stars and the contemplation of the cumulus clouds or whatever, but, but rather just go, man, I just want to look beyond this and be aware of who he is. They, the, the, these things beyond us, the sky, the stars at night, they speak of his handiwork. And not only that, just his work of his hands. So that's what he's, he conveys, you know, to us in these terms that we as humans could understand. He broadcast the stars with his hand. It doesn't mean he had to like get them out of a bag and chuck them. It's just conveying to us a way that we could understand the simplicity and the, the power and the majesty that he has. His handiwork in the stars, in the, so the skies above us, reveal his power. Um, to place and to set in motion the order of the universe. It's observable to the honest person, to the honest eye, that there's an order to this world, right? What time is it? Night or day right now? Day. So what was before this? Night. And then what was before that? Oh, so you guys are talking about some order, like consistency, a continuity that's Year after year after century, you see? There's an order. It's, it's observable to the honest person. No one looks in the skies going, man, I would have liked to be here when it was making itself. You wouldn't conclude that. You really wouldn't. You'd have to be trained to think that way to even come to that conclusion. We have the ability even now not only to look and to gaze upon creation and go, wow. We have the, the benefit of optical magnification. So this thing called a telescope that allows us to, to view beyond what the natural eye can pick up, and you see the universe and the expanse, and we come up with terms, and we, we try to describe a candy bar and different things. You know, Milky Way, it's the Milky Way. Look at this out here, because it's this cluster and collection, and, and no one has looked at that and go, cool, I want to go back to town. Everybody I've ever talked to, when, they were, when they're looking at that, they're, they're literally, and that even, they don't even have to have a spiritual frame of mind. They're just like, wow, that's big. And God speaks of it. It's like he just put in order. and put it, it speaks of his handiwork, his power. It speaks of his artistry, his creativity, the richness and the vibrance that we have in this world around us. We were just singing the song, In My Father's World, and yet I'm talking about looking up, and yet down here, it's just, it's kind of gloomy because to the truth is, this is our father's world. God is the creator. And as the king of the universe, he's allowing, tolerating, if you would, the prince of this age to be about his practices for a very short period of time. Satan, the ruler of this age, is allowed a certain range. I liken him to maybe the imagery or the consideration of an orchestra. And God has this orchestra that he leads, and it's beautiful, it's symphonic to the ears. But he tolerates this guy on the cymbals just taking a whack on things every now and then. And it sounds so beautiful, and then clang, 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 and that's, that's where you're in his, the Father's world. But guess what? He's leaving. It's going to be removed. And then we'll see this thing in more clarity and totality. But right now, in the age we live in, 
we can see God's presence, his power, his artistry. I think, I think most of us maybe would lean towards this logic. Maybe you just don't spend time thinking about this. But you know, God created this world with full knowledge because he's all-knowing. So when he created the Garden of Eden, he, he gave humanity the ability to make a choice, free will. So in creating, he places them there knowing he's going to give them the opportunity to respond and follow his instruction for their benefit or reject his instruction ultimately to their demise. And guess what happened in the Garden of Eden? Humanity, represented by Adam and Eve, rejected God's instruction, chose to to go against him, and got evicted. They got booted out because of their rebellion. God knew that would happen. So I, my mind's like, okay, so God, why wouldn't you create this beautiful environment, the Garden of Eden, and then when they flip you the bird and bail out on you, and they're now over here, flip everything to grayscale. No more color, no more desire, no more cool stuff. Because you've caused this, you've brought darkness into the world. You wouldn't think of that, would you? You wouldn't consider that. Most of us are associating a consequences to actions. But guess what? God, in his amazing creativity, his artistry, a reflection of his character, to humanity who rejected him, continues to portray his character through his creation. Continues to make known. You know, how many of you have been a little... Uh, done with spring so far, right? You're just done with it. I, you know, I'm ready for summer. I'm, I'm tired. This is, you know what's unique about this year, I think? Most of the storms and the rainy and icky weather is on the weekends. Check me, go back and look. It's like, this is weird. People get time off and now all they got to do is like, you know, get mad at the cat because they can't go do nothing. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but yet you go outside and you venture in and we were able to spend some time up in um, towards Cascade in a place called Round Valley. Right out of you, you come out of the construction zone on Highway 55 and as you enter into this valley, the Round Valley, it's phenomenal right now. It is majestic. It is so green and we were up there and there's some storms coming through and you just see that and, and you see his creation and you look up into the stars and you're in awe and you have this sense of big sky where you can just see around and what a creativity, what vibrance he has created. Why? Because that's how he is. He just can't stop being himself. That's who he is. And he creates for you and I. And not only that, not only do we have this power and capacity and will to put stuff into the motion to create the universe, but we also have the artistry and the knowledge, perfect in his ways, the order, the pattern, a design that works. You ever design something and have everything but functionality or practicality or even, it's just, oh man, I thought this would work. It didn't, like, it all works. It really does. It's amazing to me. That's why when we see here, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament, the expanse, shows his handiwork. Here's a real deep thought. If you have a tablet, you might want to type this up. If you have a pen, you might want to get it out. Uh, You don't see what you don't look at. (laughs) You're like, man, seriously, that's about as simple as, that's grade school stuff. Yeah, it is. When you're not looking, you're not seeing. 
And if we're cast down, if we're downtrodden, if the headlines and the heartache of these days weigh us down, then we have got to stop and go, wait a minute. All this weight, all this worry is changing nothing in a good way. But to stop and to look up and to realize the, the a glimpse and the insight into the very character and the very nature of God. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. You know, it's not, you see the poetic beauty, I hope, within this. Uh, several commentators have taken this thought and added, you know, this clarity in their, through conversation and writing. But basically, there's two books, if you would, in, considering this content. You have the book of the world, which is not written. It's observed. And you look at this world, and you can then come away in an understanding from this other book what that is declaring and making known to us. And here you have day after day reveals his majesty, his power, his authority. Night unto night unto night reveals knowledge. Knowing, revealing, and know, so we know and see his order and the beauty of this world. It speaks of his glory. This portion, I believe, is very poetic and very profound. In verse 5, notice what we see. Well, verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth. Now, the context you want to understand when you're reading the Bible, keep it in the context that the, the sentences have set. So in other words, you can't say, you know, the, the speech, well, I think that's speaking of God, and then there's this voice, and we re- keep the words together in the sentences and in the context. So it's speaking of the, the world, the heavens around us declare the glory of God. The, the, the voice, if you would, goes out. It's not speaking of God's voice. It's just what the statement of his creation. Their line um, has gone out, and it's speaking of just this standard, if you would, through all the earth, and the worlds, to the end of the world. He, in them he has set a tent for the sun. Interesting. Because now he's going to shift and talk about the sun a little bit, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. You understand the picture. You see the imagery? The sun doesn't get up and go, Hello, do you mind if I invade darkness for right now? The imagery being sent is like it's bold. It rises. You may say, well, I don't think it rose boldly because it just came up slowly. No, it came up the same pace. The thing between the sun and you, the clouds... Cause you to perceive it's different. It's, it's coming in slowly. You, you've had those mornings, right, where there's a, well, we'll get them sometimes late in the year, especially with all the fuel that's growing on the ground. Now we get these fires in the, in the fall, in the late summer. And when the fires are there, the sun rises, but it's got a glow. It doesn't have that intensity. But truthfully, it still has the same intensity. What's between you and the sun affects your perception about the power of the sun. But you see the picture here. This, the sun rises like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. We will agree with that in August. You're going to see it. We're going to go, man, this is... And there's a consistency and there's a beauty, and that's really what's so poetically presented. Now, consider this. This expression of his glory... In light of his majesty, his power, his presence, what do we do? Because that's been made known to us. So what do we do? 
You know, what does God have to say to you and to me in light of this visible declaration of his presence and his power? Well, let's move into the next section, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yeah, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So let's just check this out, see what we have, what we can pull out of this portion. We've seen the entry, the introduction, and we're awakened, if you would, to the consideration of his majesty and his creation and just all that he's done. So how does that affect us? Well, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The word there speaks of the law, the law of the Lord, a principle. It's a truth. Um, precept, uh, instruction, direction. This of the Lord is perfect. Now, I want to mention is a key part to this is the law of the Lord. Because man builds traditions and practices and even policies. But we want to be careful because some of those must be torn down. Some things are handed generationally but they, they are not meant to be continued, at least in the way that they're practiced. Jesus actually addressed this several times throughout the Gospels. In Mark chapter 7, he said to those who were promoting history and the practices of men, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Keep doing things just because we've always done it that way. And I'm not, there, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not that repetition is wrong. It's just want to realize what's the purpose behind it. Because what happens is so easy to start protecting and promoting. And we do it this way because of this. And that was birthed because what was happening needed to be handled in a certain way. So that's how it was handled. But then if that's promoted, we just keep doing it this way because without understanding why you're doing it that way or what's being done, the next thing you know, there's traditions. And the, the, the Israelites, having received from God the very oracles, the truth of God, come through that nation, through that family line of Abraham, and you consider Moses, and very much documented and recorded that the, the Messiah would come through this specific group of people. And they got to where they, they literally were just guarding their traditions, to the point that the word that told them prophetically of a Messiah to be, when that Messiah came, they killed him because he didn't fit the traditions of men. Isn't that crazy? Because sometimes traditions are just a protection of a form of legalism. It's just we can do things of our own. We don't really need to do it. We just do it this way. So it says here the law of the Lord, the principles, the truth, the instruction, the direction of the Lord is perfect. I've heard people say, you know, I just got hurt in church, I got burned in church. No, let me clarify that, maybe simplify that for you. People hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Nice people can be mean, and I could go on and on and on. It doesn't, that doesn't speak of God himself. 
I'm so glad that God is not the way a lot of religious people were in my life when I was a young child. And the people that I was around that had their own self-set title of religious or church people that lived differently than the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had to make separation. It's like, well, that's, I don't even need to judge them. I was like, that's their deal, whatever. But this, I want to know the law of the Lord, the truth of the Lord. The word of God has an effect, converting the soul. Now, converting here, remember, we're reading from Psalms, and we're reading from the compilation, the canonization, the completion of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So this is what we have. Now, we're reading about a portion in time chronologically, historically, that is being assimilated. So when he speaks of converting the soul, it has a little bit of different emphasis, if you would. You and I receive it because we know of a conversion. Conversion of living our lives for ourselves being converted by the work of the Holy Spirit, coming into a relationship, born again. We're now born again. We're Christians because we've been born again. We've been converted. Now, yes, there's that element, if you would, in the totality of Scripture. But here, as we, you know, you and I, we understand the truth that's been opened up, unveiled to us. It's the gospel of Jesus who is the Christ. That's why we're born again. We understand that. Converting also speaks, in this context of restoring the soul, of restoring the soul, a breath of fresh air, if you would. I'm going to ask you to see if you can draw from your memory bank a little sensory memory. So I'll set the stage and you see if you can recall this smell. Have you ever been in a contaminated place with airborne particulates, particles? It's rank. It's musky, it's stale, it's probably a little dark. Maybe it was an old tent for some of you who know what a canvas tent smelled like when it was wet. Maybe it's, maybe it's even much more complex. It's in a cave or it's in a place. You're like, oh. And when you left that containment, that place, you went and you went. <gasps> and you went. Oh. It was a breath of fresh air, correct? You, you didn't go, I, don't, I can't taste this air out here. I'm going back. You know what I'm saying? You're like, hopefully you, could, you, you know that. Because like, that's what it speaks of. The law of the Lord, the principle, the truth of God brings refreshment to the soul, restoring the soul. It's a beautiful picture for us, I think. Because this is contaminants in this life. And sometimes we're just too close. And sometimes we're just stuck in them. But we step back and we step towards the word. Look to the law of the Lord. Thank you, God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony of the Lord. You know, in church circles, there's this testimony. Somebody shares, tells of what God's done. It's beautiful. But this speaks of the testimony of the Lord is present. It's a declaration of truth. I love this legal description, an attempt at a definition. A testimony is firsthand authentication of fact. That's just a lot of words to say. He just stated the truth. And he doesn't have to say it audibly to these ears. He's made it visible before us. He's recorded it for us that here is his word. He is this way, and he, it shows how he is. Notice that you know when you read the word of God, you come into a very important truths. Like 
he says he forgives. He saves. He restores. He gives new life. We notice as it goes on to tell us here, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So it takes people that are seen as simple and sometimes derogatorily spoken of as simple tunes, but just see simple, and he, he makes them wise because they see the reality, the truth under his grace where he opens our eyes to understand, we see the truth of creation before our very eyes. Consider Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, in regards to how humanity responds to truth, how simple people become very wise, quite honestly. We have a contrast in verse 20 of Romans 1, contrast to what we've been reading. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, speaking of people. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So we see, you know, as God tells us, reveals through his word, through his creation that we live in, He tells us of his ways. And many times the wise want to assume the contemplative position. Hmm, could that be? Maybe the world made itself. Maybe it happened this way. Maybe, and they they deviate. And yet the basic, the one who's willing to be simple, is like, man, what I read is true. It's visible. And what I read about his word brings hope. It brings forgiveness. It's not just an idea and a thought and a principle. It's a visible transformation among people who've experienced it. So the power of the gospel is, is presented, but it's also practiced. And when it's practiced, it's then observed by other people. That's why many of us have a, have a, a hypocrite omometer. You know, we just pick up, it's like, you pick up someone who's a hypocrite. You're like, ah, they're saying all the right stuff, but they ain't living it. There's something about them. Because there's like a sense, I want to know truth. I want to see reality. I want to see this simple, consistent truth lived out. We call it the principle, the laws of God, the truth of God, the word of God. But aren't you looking for it? I am. I want to see it in the mirror. I want to see it in the people around me. I have no place in my soul for hypocrisy and repetitive religious practices. Because they're just disturbing at best. Let's consider the simple things he says. You know, he makes the wise, the simple. Carrying on in verse nine, or chapter 19, Psalms. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Statues, commandments, know what they bring. Notice what they bring. They bring rejoicing. They bring enlightening to the eyes. The word of God, when it's received by man, brings about a joy, brings about an understanding. And I will say this, it's often painful, yet liberating, as his word frees us from the entanglements of this life. Can we agree? 
Okay, Lord, I just want you to just, you know, I just need, I want to grow closer to you. It's a genuine prayer. I want to live in simplicity and truth. I want to know your ways. Okay. And now that he's going to do this. And it's going to hurt. Because we're going to have to give up what we used to hold on to. We're going to have to let go of some things that we thought were okay. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. Because he's going to teach us. He's going to bring about his truth, his statutes, his commandments. And so it is a rejoicing, but it's like, oh, here we go. It's kind of like when you're on the road to go somewhere. Guys, pay attention. When you're on the road to go somewhere without a map, and someone who's with you traveling at the same time says, Did you, do you know where we're going? Yes, I know where we're going, would be your reply. Oh, wait, let's go check this out. Well, honey, we should just get there. Well, no, I want to go, let's go over here. You take a detour. And you get over there, and next thing you know, your paved road is a gravel road, is a dirt road, is a mud hole, and you're turning around in your little car, and you're like, oh. Because you got to the end of what you thought would be okay, and when you got there, you're like, this is not going to work. And so you turn around. So you rejoice, all right, we're going back, but you regret going there in the first place. Do you see what I'm saying? The word of God is sometimes painful, but yet we can rejoice in this sense of I, now I know the right direction. Does anybody relate to that? We're like, man, there's been times I'm like, what in the world? I'd go there in the first place. Nevertheless, I know I'm going where I need to go. This is where I need to be. His word brings rejoicing. It brings vision, enlightening to the eyes. The fear of the Lord's clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Fear is not an unpredictable, irrational, spontaneously expressed anger, like some people somewhat think. Fear of the Lord speaks of reverence of high regard, of humble respect of the living God. So we're like, I have a reverence, a fear. You should too. The fear of the Lord's clean. It's enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord. Nobody that I know of likes that word in a sense of applied to them in, in weighing out a case or facts or information. I don't like to be thought, okay, you have to stand before a judge, a magistrate, or a traffic court, or a criminal court, no one goes, awesome, this is going to be a fun experience. Completely innocent. You know they're, you're okay. You don't go, this is going to be a good experience. I'm going to learn so much of this. You know why? Because there's lawyers there. There's judges there. There's honest people there. There's liars there. There is deceptive and devious people, and there's crooked, and there's honest, and all this complexion. And you're not sure, through the process and the procedure, that they can come to a truthful decision. If you believe otherwise, you have not followed our court system in the last decade or so. And so as you go, ah, get this. This is so important to understand. Judgment speaks of verdict, of determinations. God is a judge. He is the judge. But here's the difference. Consider if the judge is perfect in knowledge, wisdom, and truth. What if the judge, the judge that we speak of, the judge that's mentioned here, his judgments are passed because he actually knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Does that change things a little bit? That's the one thing that humanity can't weigh out. The thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it's the most essential, in many ways, more essential than the absolute, you know, evidential processes. 
because it's the thoughts and the intents that start revealing what we'd call motives. And so here's God who judges perfectly. And we're told that his judgments are true and righteous altogether. They're more to be desired than gold, fine gold, or anything sweet. Anything, you know, that's profitable or valuable or pleasurable, we're being told that his ways are perfect. They are of the highest value, of greater value than anything in this world. And that takes a reset for most of us. To just be reminded, we're familiar with these theories and thoughts and or contemplations and truths and these things we're reading. We just have to go back and review. I love this picture. Kim and I were talking about this this last week. When you're, when you're going over something you know, it's, and you've been, say you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you've known these truths for a long time, it's very much like the old school experience when we used to open up photo albums. The three ring binders and half the picture's falling out. You're slipping them back in place because the little sticky clear thing isn't sticky any longer, whatever. And so you're going through. You, you remember these moments. Or you're told of those times. And as you go through it, you're like, oh, wow. Now, if you're the one choosing to go through it, it's a pleasurable experience. If somebody says, hey, I want to show you a photo album, you're near death. But if you choose to go through it, you're like, wow. You're, you're reminded of, of something, like a truth. And when we venture through the word like this, we, we're, we're, it's like opening up those albums. Oh, I'm so good to be refreshed. He is, God's ways are perfect. Because of who he is, he's, he's loving and gracious and righteous and true. His word, we see in verse 11, is therefore a loving warning and a great reward. It's a warning to us. Now, let's just summarize this section and consider where we went. In verses 1 through 6, we have a picture, uh, a picture for his people, if you would, an observable reality of our creator God. It's seen in the life around us and the expanse above us. So we have this picture. In verses 7 through 11, we have principles, the, the precepts for his people. The instruction from God to us, they reveal his character and, and teaching us our, our ways. Now in verses 12 through 14, we have the practices of his people. So it begins with the picture of, for his people, the precepts for his people, now the practices of his people. Let's consider verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Do you remember how this passage, this, this chapter started? Observing creation. Observing what's knowable around you. And now it's went over to who can understand their errors. The question is really simple as far as the answer. Nobody. Nobody can, can understand the depth and the, 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 the reality of who we are without God revealing it. If you're a Christian, you didn't just come to the crossroads of life and conclude by your own discernment that you need a right life with God. That thought could be there, but the knowledge of how to become or come into a right relationship is brought to you by what we call the grace of God. The unmerited favor, the unmerited favor of God reveals to the individual their own depravity, their own need, the very sin that they, they know. And it's, as it's revealed, not as it just revealed, it would ultimately leave us in a deep, dark hole, but it's revealed and then brings us to the knowledge of our need. 
where we exercise free will. We say, I agree with you, God. I know I did that. I'm guilty of that. So that's what brings us. So in other words, you, you have errors, secret faults. You have that as a Christian. As you grow and you mature, God will reveal to you in one season what's not acceptable as you have matured. You will let infants and toddlers do certain things that you won't tolerate from a 13-year-old. Is that true? It's because they're growing. And so you reveal truth to them as they need to know, don't do that. It's not appropriate for your age. You've matured. So understand maybe a way to, to realize it is God reveals what we need to know. He reveals it for conversion. He reveals it for continuing with him. Secret faults, those are hidden to me. I didn't know them. I wasn't aware. And, 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 and now, I'm, now it's made known according to his word. And because of that, I want to respond. The response, it requires humility, dependence, trust. And this you'll see in your life. An increasing confidence in God. An increasing confidence of God. Because you got, I, I, I didn't realize the, the depth of my old nature and the residual that re, is resident in my heart. God, I, Lord, I, I didn't realize. And, and some of you are thinking, well, no, I don't know. I don't know about that. Let me just say, you were probably at one place in the last year, in one situation or scenario or another, where you used a word you won't share with the pastor. There's something that's like, oh, and then I'm not going to say what you said because you were surprised you said it because you stopped saying that a long time ago and you just didn't realize you could still say it because you didn't know you still said it. And that's something that you didn't, you really have in humility given to God. You've allowed him to be, do a work in your heart, and yet it's still residual. And so in humility, in utter and complete and joyful dependence, that like, God, forgive me. I didn't realize that still resides. I, I really did think it was gone. And so you give it over to him. You confess it to him. You agree with him. And he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let's move on to, to the next portion, verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Presumptuous sins are those hidden by me. Secret sins are those hidden to me. And God exposes them like, oh, wow, I still have a little of that. Presumptuous ones are the ones that I hide that I deny, that I don't want to have. They're hidden by me. Oh, the arrogance and pride of making exceptions for yourself. Presuming that God has to forgive you because, you know, after all, he knows my heart. He knows I mean well. And so, therefore, this type of behavior is going to be okay. I presume he'll say it's okay. If I am selfish or if I am this or that, I can kind of, you know, because you've ever heard that kind of conversation? I have. And it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> seriously, it's so gross. It is. You know, I believe it's an element of that lukewarmness that we studied in Revelation. That Jesus said, when you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm. It's like vomit from my mouth. When you use the name of God to say it's okay because God gave me a pass to be this way, even though his word says don't be that way, but he knows my heart so I can be this way because he'll tolerate it because he knows me so well. 
You wanna practice that together? No, it's okay. It's sad. I believe every single person listening to this message and sitting here today has that challenge of presumptuous sins. It's things we don't want people to know about us. It's things that we've justified. But I hope it's diminishing. I hope you have what I'm experiencing in my life for the last two plus, or at least specifically more than the last decade, I have a diminishing confidence in myself and a greatly increasing confidence in the word of God. And when he says it's not right, it's not right. It's not open for discussion. It's not open for debate. I don't get to plead my excuse. I don't, need to, I don't get to present my explanation because it only leads to exemption. I can only say humbly, God, I, I'm tired of hiding this from you. I can hide things from Kim. It's not easy because she's around me all the time. But I could hide things from you. I could hide things from my dad. But I'm not hiding anything from God. And to think that it's okay to be this way, if I embrace that, that's why he's saying, notice what he says. Keep, he's requesting. This is a petition because of the intimacy he has with God. He doesn't take it for granted. Keep back your servant. Keep me from these presumptuous sins so they don't have dominion over me. Because guess what happens? We give them just a little room to grow, and they take over. And before too long, you're one of those people. I could be one of those people that cannot receive logic. You know that the self-deceived person is one of the hardest people to speak to? Why is that? Duh. They're self-deceived. Whatever they tell themselves is Okay. They won't receive counsel. They won't receive instruction. They won't change their ways. They're self-deceived. And how do you get there? By saying it's different for me. It's okay for me. I, I can do it this way. It's okay. When you know, I'm not talking about generalities. I'm talking about specific things the Lord spoke to you. Don't, don't do that. Don't go that way. And as I started this by saying, oh, the arrogance. And the violation of the relationship to speak to God, if we find ourselves saying, it's, I know you know, I'm just going to keep doing this. It's not okay. Now, I know, sitting here, I know there's, there's people that deal with certain besetting sins, the Bible says, certain temptations that seem to just keep taking you down. Don't be discouraged. Notice what's being said here in this, this psalm. David is revealing his need to go to God. God knows all things. Just stop trying to sell it to him. Stop trying to say it's okay. It's not okay. And it may be some small thing. Maybe it's a part of pride or maybe it's something that's more um, emotion-based that I may have or that you may have. But if he says it's not okay, just go with me on this one. It's not okay. And and don't say it's okay because it will have dominion over you. And I've seen personalities changed. I've seen relationships ruined. I've seen lives torn apart and they won't admit it. Oh, it's this, it's that, it's them, it's those. It's so sad. And it's not this, that, them, and those. It's this. It's this one thing. Presumptuous sin, saying it's okay for me because I have this special connection with God. Verse 13 ends, then I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of great transgression. I believe one of the greatest transgressions is we can say God has said, when the Lord has not said. When we can claim that he's done something, but we're actually using his name to promote our own thing. What a sad deal. 
Notice this, finish this out. Let the words of my mouth, and that's a petition, that's a, a culmination of acknowledging creation, and it's a realization that God has laid out you know, guidelines in life and hope and truth for us, and he's understanding this intimacy. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Lord, it's January 1, and I just am determined I'm going to make a resolution. I will not do those things again. I'm confident. I can, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. It's all about you. I'm going to do it. But you're going to bail and fail. Why? Because you're not doing this. What does this say? You are my Lord, my strength, my redeemer, my hope. My hope is not in my ability to be more disciplined as a human. My hope is in the intimacy with God that I will understand his role in my life in such a way that I will rely upon him and everything. And he can form and shape me and change me and do that work in me. Can you agree? That's your hope. That's your desire. I know that. You desire what even, you know, many desire. What's that you said, Jesus? Oh, that's so good. You know what he said? Well done, Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Because he's transforming us and shaping us and doing a work in us. Bringing about this humility and trust and hope and dependence and confidence in God. You've probably heard me say it. I, I <coughs> excuse me, embraced this for some time. I have a growing confidence in the God of creation and a diminishing confidence in myself. And it's so liberating. It is so freeing to be able to serve, not by measure, but just by saying, okay, Lord, I just see your faithfulness for 30 plus years. And because of your faithfulness, I have more confidence in you. Because I have confidence in you, I place less confidence in myself. I'd like to say I have no confidence in myself, but that would be a lie. So I try not to do that during the sermon, of course. It, you see, I have a diminishing confidence, and I hope it measures, I hope it decreases incrementally. I hope it's observable to the people around me because my confidence is growing in God because of his faithfulness. Mm-hmm.